That's exactly right. Love Talk Radio. <laughs> to another Wednesday night edition of Sports Conversation on the Fight Network. I'm Don Henderson, and we've got reporters all around. We'll first of all start off with Roy Cummings in Tampa, who covers all the sports action in Tampa, from the Lightning to the Bucks to the Rays. And, of course, Roger Hendler, as always, in Atlanta, Georgia, where 
Well, that's the City of Champions. We'll chat a little bit with him. <clears throat> We've got a little bit of an unusual show tonight. Uh, I'll just say this at the top of the show, and that is that uh, any folks that had a chance to get to uh, Jersey Mike's during the course of the day, uh, all his proceeds of all his stores are going to the Special Olympics. And in the next half hour, we're going to chat about it. Ro- uh, Roger will talk about it in just a couple of moments. So uh, we're going to talk a little about the Special Olympics. We're going to talk about Jersey Mike's and what it really means to uh, all these young people at the Special Olympics were going to be held in Orlando, Florida. In the meantime, let's get to our director, and uh, Frank Carroll. Frank, I know you got a dedication, and you got a quick word from our sponsor. Yeah, Don, we want to uh, congratulate those who returned from Vietnam today. Today is the um, Vietnam, Honor the Vietnam Veterans Day. Uh, it was a very special war that we were pulled into. We didn't want to go. And unfortunately, the guys that came back were not read, were not met with um, joy or love. They were met with a lot of disgust and dirt. Some guys even got spit on. So for enduring all that, that they did, for uh, keeping us, uh, we all know that freedom is not free, and for keeping us free, we want to dedicate this program and each and every program uh, that we have to those fine men and women who came back from Vietnam. As far as our sponsor is concerned, it happened again. You got another rate coming uh, at P&L, uh, Duke, and all the other agencies are going to be raising. Just got a, a bill through the uh, legislature to raise your rates. You want to stop raising those rates? Go solar. Not just solar, any solar. Go biosolar. Biosolar is a product made here in Florida, licensed in each and every state in the union, able to, to make any kind of a, a deal that you need. They uh, will guarantee once you put their units on the, the roof, you will only pay 50% of whatever from the day you, you uh, put them on to the day you take them off. Um, Biosolar can be reached at 727-314-6976. And um, the Ask, uh, ask for Patrick or any of his uh, staff. Don? Frank Carroll, thank you very, very much. And now we look forward to the Wednesday night edition on the Fight Network of our talking sports. And <clears throat> as always, we start off with Roy Cummings in Tampa, Florida. And, uh, Roy, I'm going to throw something to you at a left field that we didn't have a chance to talk about before the show. I don't know how much time you spent watching uh, the NCAA tournament primarily uh, the men's side and the women's side. I want to talk about the women's side tonight because a lot of people, I think, missed one of the greatest games in the history of basketball. It happened on the women's side the other night, North Carolina State. And, of course, uh, uh, when you when you look at what, Roy, uh, what uh, uh, Connecticut has been able to do, 14 consecutive years to the Final Four, 14 consecutive years, and uh, one of the great games, I know they talked about it on part of the interruption the other night. They talked about it on sports, uh, on the sports shows all across the country. I don't know whether you had a chance to see it or not, Roy. Uh, I know how much you spent time watching women's basketball, but <clears throat> one of the great games of all time. Yeah, you know what? Uh, I didn't see it, uh, but I'm not surprised to hear you say that. Um, I think women's basketball, uh, college basketball, and the, and the WNBA, are some of the most underrated sports events 
in our in our country right now. I mean, I look, I, I cut my teeth covering women's college basketball uh, back way back in the day when I was in, in school and uh, trying to become a sports writer, and um, that was uh, that was a beat that I covered along with men's basketball as well, and. You know, I treated it the same way I did men's basketball, and because uh, the, the, at uh, the school I was at, uh, the women's team was actually a little bit better than the men's team. And I think you know, if people would give it a try and and watch it, they would they will be very entertained. Unless, of course, you just want to see dunks. If you, you know, there look, there's no question that in some cases uh, the athleticism is not the same, but. In terms of shooting guards and and, and layups and, and and just pure basketball, you know, passing the ball around, making plays, that kind of thing. Um, the speed is a little bit different, but the basketball is still a very high caliber, and it's certainly that way when you get to the uh, top level in the NCAA, and it's certainly that way when you get to the top level in the WNBA. And uh, I think a lot of people have I, – I wish more people would give it a try. And um, well, actually, be, be honest, I – I wish Tampa would get a team in the WNBA. Um, USF's basketball team is very good. Their women's team, much better than the men's team by far. Uh, so, uh, you know, I do pay a little bit of attention. I did not see that game, but I'm not surprised to hear you say that it was one of the best games you've seen because, you know what, if you give women's college basketball and even the WNBA a try, you're going to be entertained. Uh, and again, unless all you, all you care about is dunks and, uh, you know, guys kind of, giving it the Olay uh, defense and, and letting guys go in and make uh, spectacular plays, uh, you're going to see a very uh, entertaining brand of basketball. Roger, you and I are a little bit different category. We've seen Gina's from the time he was at uh, Villanova University right. and uh, then right through, of course, Debbie Ryan, who was uh, my next-door neighbor growing up who became the head basketball coach at Virginia. And Gino went there, and then he got the opportunity at Connecticut. <clears throat> and, of course, it's unprecedented, 14 consecutive years going to the Final Four. I don't think he's got a chance to win it this year because there are two teams I think are better than his, Stanford. Uh, I think it's definitely better than his, the defending champions. And, of course, uh, the uh, University of South Carolina, which won a couple of years ago, and we have a close connection there as well. Right. Young lady coaching there is from Philadelphia and also a former Temple coach. But uh, I don't know if you saw the whole game, Roger, or not, but I mean, the sports world has just been talking about it. It's unbelievable. Double overtime. Yeah. Don, I saw it from tip-off to end. And you know me with women's basketball, having done Drexel for nine years uh, and being a, uh, a long-time Gino Lauriema fan, uh, Connecticut fan because of my daughter growing up with uh, as uh, Rebecca Lobo as her uh, hero, and uh, what a, I mean, now a wonderful broadcaster. That game was a classic. And from uh, what I they said was, it's the first time there was ever in men's or women's a double overtime in the Elite Eight. And uh, it might have been even uh, further, you know, into the Final Four. But it was a classic. And I thought Gino's comment. Uh, at the end, uh, when he embraced the uh, North Carolina coach, was he said we both should be going to the Final Four, and uh, it was. Just, well, and he then, said it was uh, the toughest, the toughest game, the most competitive game in all his years of coaching. That it was the most competitive game and draining game he'd ever coached. 
ever coached. And he lost one of his key players early on with right. the wrist injury. So uh, it just – but I'm with you, Roy. Uh, I've been a women's basketball coach. Girls, obviously, when you have a daughter who's playing, winds up being a high school coach. I coached uh, our high school AAU team for a couple of years. Uh, you just become a fan. And you see things in a different perspective. I like it because it's more fundamentally sound that I'm used to, or traditionally sound, I should say, from what I grew up with. You know, in the NBA, uh, back in the old days, it was totally different than it is today. So uh, it was. It was a great game. It said a lot. I think it uh, did a lot and, and said a lot for women's and girls' basketball overall. You know, you're right. You're right, Roger. Uh, it's just it's a different style of game. Obviously, the NBA is a show, and it, and it's really about the show. It's about the spectacular plays. It's about uh, get. Be, it's a, it's about being above the rim, and um, and 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 that's great. That's fine. But you're, I, I think you put it perfectly. It's what women's college basketball is. The WNBA is is fundamentally sound basketball. It's basketball from an era. Uh, you know, many, many years ago, but it doesn't mean it's bad. You know, basketball back in the 50s and 60s, the style you see when watching women's basketball now, um, exactly. for the most part, uh, was still an incredibly exciting brand of basketball. Uh, the game has changed, um, and there are, there are some women who can play at that high level, but above the rim a little bit, um, but uh, but still – there's nothing wrong with the, the old fundamental, you know, passing the ball around and making a play. I mean, it's still thrilling, especially when you have two teams that are as good as the two that played last night and and take it, uh, you know, you know, to the, take it to the limit for two overtimes. I mean, it, it's rare that you see it, obviously, um, but uh, it's special when it happens for sure. I think one of the things, Roger, that surprised me and also Roy. Uh, doing the questioning uh, after the game and, of course, in the newspapers the next day and on, even on the on the shows, although part of the interruption did mention it last night, uh, what Gino's thinking was with uh, two and a half seconds to go uh, when North Carolina State hit that feed into the right corner and she hit a three-pointer and they had a three-point lead, did he ever think of fouling? Now, this comes right, up all yeah. the time in the NBA. Do you foul there? Do you foul there? Do you foul there? Nobody ever asked them that question. Even last night on uh, sports, uh, on the sports shows in the evening, uh, they didn't ask him that question. I just wish they had mentioned it to see what his thinking was. Yeah, I was with you because I think uh, Rebecca and I think Brian Rocco, I think that's uh, who was doing the play-by-play. As I recall, they discussed it a little bit of exactly what you were saying, Don, about the strategy. You know, right, that was before the foul. Fact. That was before the fact. That's exactly right. And uh, right. I wish Gino, I, but I think Gino was just totally wasted. I mean, he was so emotional uh, after that. And uh, uh, Roy and, and Frank, uh, I know Don knows this story, but I'll tell you real quick uh, that uh, a good friend of ours who was a great high school coach in New Jersey, Chappie Moore, was the freshman basketball coach at Bishop Kendrick High School in Norristown. And Gino was a freshman, and Chappie was the football coach, but the freshman basketball coach. And he cut uh, uh, he cut uh, Gino 
from the freshman boys basketball team. So he will go down in infamy as, <laughs> as, as a Hall of Fame coach. <laughs> well, you know what? He uh, he laid the foundation for him to be to become a coach. Maybe Gino realized at that point. Yeah, maybe coaching's not. Maybe uh, maybe playing is not my uh, my forte. Maybe I should learn how to coach this game. And uh, right. obviously, it's worked out because you know uh, you you can put Gino Oriema against any of the greatest coaches that have ever coached college basketball. Uh, he's right up there with every one of them on the men's side. And uh, I, I, to be honest, it's funny. I'd like to see him get a chance to coach the men. Um, it, it'd be a bit of a blow to the women's game, I guess, but uh, I'd love to see him coach the men and uh, see how he handled that. I think it'd be a great uh, – it'd be so interesting to watch. Well, you know, well Roger and I talked about that, that a couple of games back because uh, during the post-game interviews, uh, he, he, of course, he had a bad year this year. He had Kovas and – a lot of the players on the team were either injured or had COVID or whatever, and it was a very tough year for him. And I said to Roger at that time that, uh, you know, I don't know how much longer he's, he's going to go. I, I agree with you. I'd like to see him coach a men's team just to see what he thought. But uh, I, I, I just wonder how much he's going to do because 14 consecutive years, uh, uh, getting to the Final Four, the pressure, the recruiting, uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see what he does, Roger. Well, I can tell you that question came up years ago. I was up in Syracuse on business, and they were discussing him uh, on a local uh, Syracuse station. And, of course, you know, that's, uh, you know, with Syracuse, uh, as I recall, they were in the Big East, I guess, back then. Right. And, uh, and the guy, and, uh, and I, my response, I, I didn't call in. My response was, why would he want to coach a men's team? You get him. You either keep them for four or five years, they graduate, they don't, and of course that was before the transfer portal too, but, uh, you know, that was my response. Why would he? And he's got like a tremendous associate head coach who could have been a head coach any place, Chris Daly, and she handles the recruiting, and you see the way she calms him down when uh, he needs to. So they've been a tremendous team. From the time they uh, they went to UConn, she came from uh, Rutgers and he came from Virginia. Well, one last thing before we switch out of the basketball, and I want to get to the National Hockey League because the Lightning played quite a game last night. Maybe some of you had a chance to see it, maybe you didn't, but uh, we'll talk about it in a second. But I just want to go back to the men's side for a second and talk about St. Peter's and the Peacocks. Uh, not only did they make a first, you know, a great run to get to the 16. But the most unique thing about it to me was that their entire budget is $250,000. $250,000. I mean, how do you put together a team with a budget? That, now, this does not count coaches. They, they pay coaches over the budget. But their, their actually budget for basketball is $250,000. Roy, I'll tell you, that's quite an accomplishment. It really is, and, uh, you know, you're speaking to what makes the uh, NCAA basketball tournament on both sides, women's and men's, uh, so special. You know, you've got a chance, if you're a team like uh, like St. Peter's, you know, to take on uh, the big boys and beat them. And uh, it's, 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 to me, I, I think that's, uh, that's what has always made the NCAA tournament special. You always look for that Cinderella team. Um, they, they come over every year, it seems, we have one or two that uh, surprise us and go a couple of rounds. And um, 
you know, make everybody uh, hope that uh, David can beat Goliath again. And uh, this was time with St. Peter's, and, uh, you know, now it's on the map. And, and what's great about it is, you know, this will probably help their budget a little bit. Uh, it's going to get some kids uh, interested in the school. Um, okay. So, you know, Roy, hold it just a second, Roy. Frank's got uh, somebody he wants to jump in with. Go ahead, Frank. Uh, we have some breaking news. Seton Hall this evening has hired uh, St. Peter's coach Shahan Holloway after historic uh, NCAA tournament. So he's moved on already. Yeah, well, we expected wow. that, right? We all expected yeah, that. They, they'd been saying for about a week, week and a half, that that was pretty much uh, uh, when the uh, Seton Hall coach left to go to the University of Maryland last week. Uh, they had said that he would, Holloway would be uh, the next guy to step in. And what a raise he'll get. I, I don't think he made very much money at St. Peter's, but he'll, he'll make a good, he'll make a good run at Seton Hall. And the other thing was well, that the, uh, one of the other, one of the last things before we get jump out there, I want to get the, uh, the total uh, net purse for uh, St. Peter's and the uh, math conference is $11 million, but the $11 million has to be split between 11 different teams. So uh, even though uh, St. Peter's will get a, a portion, uh, probably a little less than uh, $1 million, but uh, $11 million was for getting to the Sweet 16. They got their conference $11 million, which was pretty nice. Well, it's great. Yeah, you know, it's also interesting. Uh, you know, Roy, uh, I know Don and uh, Frank probably know this. Uh, Kevin Boyle, that was at the IMG Academy, was uh, Holloway's high school coach at St. Patrick's in uh, Elizabeth. And uh, I think that's interesting, uh, you know, his style and everything. I think he grew up under uh, Boyle. I'm not a fan of Boyle's, but uh, he's, you know, good coach, obviously. And I, I think that uh, now he's going back to his alma mater, which I think is terrific. Right. Roy, let me let you finish your statement there, and then let's switch over to the Lightning, because uh, I thought it was interesting last night the way the ebb and flow of that game uh, went and the way the scoring took place. Go ahead, Roy. Yeah, really, I, I mean, it, it was like a playoff game, and, and you know, rightfully so, because I, I get a feeling that uh, Tampa's going to end up facing Carolina at some point in the playoffs. Um, I, I can almost see a, a, a Eastern Conference championship uh, matchup uh, between those two teams. Uh, Tampa's starting to play uh, better. They had a bit of a slump, uh, you know, for a week or two. Uh, we're struggling a little bit, and uh, some of their scorers are still struggling. But uh, at the end of the day, they're starting to play a little bit better hockey right now. They beat the Islanders the other day, uh, a team that they seem to always have had their number. But um, they beat the Islanders, and then they come home and beat Carolina. Two good tests for this team after uh, losing a couple of games on the road. So, um, yeah, it, it was a, a real back-and-forth game. And, you know, uh, I'll tell you what, you, you, you Steven Stamkos is dangerous anywhere. You know, he's usually on that left dot uh, on the play, on the power play. This time he uh, he's right there in the, in the high slot, and uh, he just you know he fires at home. I mean he's he's just, he's a sniper. He's an incredible sniper. The thing I would worry about the Lightning is they're a little bit like Edmonton in that they are they're, they're they really lean on their power play, and and this was a problem a couple of years ago. For them in the in the playoffs, and it's been a problem here and there. I mean, obviously they've won two straight Stanley Cups, so it's not a major issue. But if you can somehow shut down the power play, which is really asking a lot, you can shut Tampa down because 
they do struggle sometimes to score five on five. Now, the power play is just, uh, you know, as good as there is in the NHL. But uh, at the end of the day, they, they tend to lean on it a little bit too much. And I know for a fact that uh, inside the building at Amelie Arena here in Tampa, the concern is they have to play better five on five. They have to somehow outscore their opponent five on five. They can't lean on the power play because you get into the playoffs and you don't get as many power plays. Um, the whistles get swallowed up a little bit. Uh, it's a more physical game. Uh, and despite that, they still don't uh, call the penalties as much, which I love. I think it's great. Um, but uh, Tampa's got to make sure that they're, you know, firing all, on all cylinders five on five. And that's something you're going to see them try to do here uh, down the stretch as they get ready for the playoffs. Roger. Well, yeah, and I, I think uh, you're right about that. I know you're right about that. But uh, do you still feel that uh, it could come down to the two Florida teams, Roy? Yeah, that's another one. Here's the thing. You know, Tampa right now is in a battle with Toronto for, for the final, you know, seeded berth uh, in, the, in the division as opposed to a wild card spot. Tampa, I don't think they care really where they where they are. I don't think they really care who they play. But I will say this. The East is a lot deeper, I think, in terms of playoff caliber teams than the West. And I think in that Eastern Conference, obviously Tampa is worthy of going to the finals. Carolina, I think, is. Florida definitely is. Boston is starting to play a little bit better. Um, so, I, you know, Toronto still thinks they're worthy. I don't think they are. But um, I think they'll probably get drummed out after the first in the first round, if not, you know, second round. But uh, yes, it, it, there's a very good chance that Tampa could end up facing Florida uh, in the finals as well. So I mean, again, it's it's really a bit of a coin flip at this point because everything is so close. Um, lots going to obviously depend on where these teams finish and how they match up, uh, you know, as the playoffs get started. So. We, you know, we won't know for a while, but uh, clearly there are teams that uh, could challenge Tampa for that title. I still think Tampa is one of the top four in the, in the conference, uh, if not in the top two or three. And, uh, you know, I think they'll be there at the end. But who they face, it could be anybody. And you never know. I mean, just like last year and uh, the year before, you could have a surprise team get through as well. Uh, so who knows? We'll, we'll see what happens. Rangers are well, you mentioned Toronto. You didn't think they were going to be there, but uh, they're going to try to overcome history, aren't they? Toronto has their problems when they get to the playoffs. They sure do. And, and their problem now is, is similar to the problem Tampa had a few years ago, uh, is that they're, they're just not physical enough. As I said, the game gets much more physical uh, in the playoffs, and the whistles get swallowed a little bit, and you've got to be prepared for that. And, you know, you've seen Toronto do a couple of things to try to get a little bit better in that regard. Um, it's one of the reasons Wayne Simmons is there. Um, some other guys, Jason Spezza, but boy, oh boy, they just can't seem to put it all together at that time. Now goaltending is an issue in, in Toronto, certainly not an issue in Tampa, and it's really not an issue. Uh, it's not an issue in Florida. It's not an issue in Carolina. So, um, I, look, I will not be surprised if uh, – if, if Toronto is knocked out early on, I'll be surprised if they get to the finals. I'll, I'll, let's say that. I still think it's going to be Tampa and it's going to be Tampa, Carolina, and Florida. I would pick those three teams. One of the two of those three teams are going to be in the final. Uh, I'll be surprised if Toronto's there. 
Roger, one last thing. You're there in Atlanta, and uh, Tiger Woods decided to play the 18th holes yesterday. What are they writing in the papers in Atlanta about the Masters and about Tiger? Well, it's going to be interesting to see if he uh, gets out on, on the uh, course. He's been walking around over at the Masters, and, uh, you know, they're going to have a uh, a woman's uh, amateur there on uh, Sunday, I believe. Which no, I saw uh, they, like, I saw last night. They showed the uh, uh, Scout Channel had it on last night, the women's amateur. Oh, did they have it? Okay. I yeah. thought it was uh, yeah. coming up on Sunday. But uh, the that was a that was a big deal, and uh, only time will tell. Uh, the I heard some of the uh, prognosticators today say that uh, they think that he will uh, be competitive, but they don't know whether he'll ever win a major again. So who knows? Roy, what do you think? And he walked he walked eighteen yesterday to to surprise everybody. And he walked and he will keep on walking with that bad leg and keep playing and. Have a respectable score. I I, I will not say that uh, Tiger Woods can't. There, there's nothing I don't think Tiger Woods could do. I, and he's not going to embarrass himself. I'm sure he probably believes that if he can go out there and be competitive, um, he, he'll go out there and do it. And uh, it'd be a great uh, it'd be great for the game if he's out there. I mean, I, I think I don't. The game misses him. I don't. I you know I don't necessarily miss him. I, I I'm intrigued by all the young players. On the tour now, I, I, you know, obviously, um, you're going to have to pass the baton at some point. But boy, if Tiger Woods can come back and play again, uh, that would be special. It would make for a special Masters for sure. So I'm pulling for him. I hope it happens. I, I, I think it would be great. And um, but more than anything, I'd, I would love to see him come back and and be competitive. And uh, you know, it's not like he has to shoot. You know, finish in the top ten or fifteen. Um, but just, you know, if he can shoot under par and, and be in the mix and make the cut, uh, I think it would be special for the game. And he's also challenging his idol, Ben Hogan. Ben Hogan did yeah. exactly the same thing when he had the car crash and was out for uh, 18 months and then he came back and won tournaments that nobody said he'd ever be able to win, walked when nobody ever said he'd be able to walk, and he's always been on the forefront of Tiger, uh, not only his golf, but now with the accident he had, uh, I, I think that's a little bit of a challenge to him that he's going to try to do what Ben Hogan did. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I think that's you know that's look Tiger. He's a he's a he loves the history of the game and he knows he's a big part of it. I think you, you're absolutely right. I think he, this is something he could say, hey, just like Ben Hogan, I did this. And uh, like I said, who who can who can't be rooting for Tiger Woods in that regard? Brother, two big stories: Roger Mickelson and Tiger Woods. And uh, Tiger Woods has sort of taken the negativity out of what was happening at the Masters because all last week, as they led up to it, uh, all we talked about was what Mickelson did, what he said, what happened. Is he going to be able to play? Is he on suspension? Nobody really knows whether he's on suspension or not. But uh, so Tiger took the bad stories away and put the good stories back into the Masters. Yeah, it's what he does. You know, that's, uh, again, it's uh... – Tiger Woods puts the puts the uh, the spotlight on himself all the time, and uh, sometimes it's for bad, but more often than not, it's for good, and that's the case again. Well, we got Mark Edison uh, coming up uh, from Special Olympics, Roy, and uh, of course the uh, games are going to be the Olympic games are going to be down that area in, in uh, Orlando in June, 
So uh, we can talk about that coming up. But we appreciate it, Roy, as always. Have a wonderful week. Uh, it's always my pleasure to be on with you guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, we'll do it again next sure. week, guys. Thanks for having me. Okay. Take care, partner. Don, we've uh, Frank had uh, uh, called, I, so I've got uh, Mark through uh, my phone, like we've had it do a number of times with Tom LeMaine. And uh, Mark Edenson, thank you for being with us. Uh, we go way back, New Jersey Special Olympics, many, many years ago. And uh, you're involved with the, uh, the uh, games, the Olympic Games coming up in uh, Orlando, as I said, in June. Today is a big day uh, with uh, Jersey Mike's. I bought my giant uh, earlier, had it for dinner. It was great. I know Don and his wife uh, had it. And uh, talk about how everything has evolved since you started in Special Olympics, which was uh, many years ago, Mark, and, uh, and, and where you are today. Oh, so, Roger, I... I started back uh, in the institution era, uh, back in the 70s. <laughs> uh, all of our athletes were actually, many of our athletes were confined uh, to institutional settings. And over those years of coaching Special Olympics within, actually it was the New Jersey Neuropsychiatric Institute in Skillman, uh, building Special Olympics there and then transitioning over to Special Olympics in New Jersey in the early 80s. Um, I had a stint down in Washington, uh, late 80s and early 90s, and took over the organization uh, 95 after the passing of Mike Higgins, who, you know, was a, a, a great leader in our movement. Wonderful uh, man. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, moved down and took uh, a position running North America. And, you know, the, the change from uh, the time I was involved in the mid seventies till today is just, uh, we're just light years from where we used to be. And, and it's because of the performances of our athletes and, you know, the expectations now that we place on them, uh, you know, or, or such that uh, they, they should be in sport in the community, they should be sporting their school, and, and they should be able to excel in the playing field. It's not uh, any more compromise or any, you know, you don't, uh, you know, take, take uh, second place anymore. You strive to be first. And, and that's where I think our guys have achieved, uh, you know, far greater than we would have ever imagined. Well, I think, the Mark, other- I think it's also <laughs> sort of interesting that, uh, of course, we've seen all the commercials during all the NCAA tournaments, both men and women's, as well as other events on television. But for the owner of Jersey Mike's to commit every bit of his uh, revenue for today, from the day they opened up till the night they closed, to the Special Olympics, so I think that's uh, really a special commendation. Well, I-, I had time to spend time with Peter, and uh, he has such a sincerity uh, behind uh, these games and uh, in support of our athletes. And I think the, the, greatest, the greatest compliment, I mean, you know, he's going to raise a lot of money for these games on our athletes, and he's going to heighten the awareness. But how great was it he aligned us with the NCAA tournament? Right. Because we were sport, right? And, and all of the commercials that he ended up producing were all sport. Right. And, it, it, you know, what he, he understood what our mission is. He knew what the, uh, the, the capacity of our athletes was, and, and, and he just aligned himself. And, uh, what a great message. What a great champion. Uh, what a great day today. And not only that, he, wait, wait till we bring the torch. We have a law enforcement torch run from Chicago to Orlando. It's going to take place two weeks prior than the game, from the games. And we'll be in Point Pleasant celebrating Jersey Mike's uh, at his uh, elementary school where he grew up in Point Pleasant. We can't wait to, for that stop. So um, he, he, is, he is true and true uh, uh, just a, a champion for our, uh, for our athletes. 
Mark, talk about no, that. Uh, you, you mentioned to me uh, the, uh, yesterday about he didn't want to have the torch come to their headquarters, the Jersey Mike headquarters, and it's going to be at a high school or a field, or a high school field uh, that was yep. like a, his coach or something like that, right? Yeah, he's uh, he's bringing it to, uh, I, I believe, and we have to get clarification, but I believe it's an elementary school where he went, and uh, the, there's a football field there, and they're going to dedicate, or it may have been a junior high school, but they're going to, they're going to uh, the, the field is dedicated to uh, a coach uh, that he had uh, growing up that influenced him to start the, uh, the company, and uh, he wants to run the torch from the boardwalk uh, to the field and run around the track, and we'll have the school kids out that day, and a lot of special Olympics athletes in the community hope to pack the stands, and uh, we're going to celebrate Jersey Mike's in Point Pleasant, and you know, he, he, he's, he's just a great, great guy. It wasn't about being at the corporate headquarters. It was about being in the community with, with kids, with our athletes, with our volunteers. He just is, uh, he's kind of woven himself into the fabric of our organization in such a short amount of time and in such a valuable way. Well, I live in Brooks Township, which is right next to my, I lived in Seagirt prior to that. Uh, so Point Pleasant is certainly a place that I know very, very well. And, and I'll tell you, the community in the Brooks Township area will really turn out and support uh, and I know that they have supported the uh, all the stores uh, all throughout the day. But, uh, you know, I like the fact that you just keep going back to his community uh, dedication. And that's exactly what it is. I mean, he he dedicates himself to doing things the right way. Yeah. And, and you know, he's also the sponsor of our torch run. So imagine this. We're going to be lighting the cauldron at Soldier Field. We built a cauldron there on the 50th anniversary right on the property of Soldier Field. We're going to Cleveland to Progressive Field to a Guardians game. We're going to ESPN headquarters, WWE, Times Square. Uh, we're going to the 9-11 Memorial, Statue of Liberty, uh, the steps of the uh, Art Center, the Pentagon, all, all the way down the East Coast. What's so cool is right in the middle of those stops is going to be Point Pleasant. And it's just it's going to be probably much more powerful than many of those iconic uh, stops that we're going to make because we're going to be meeting somebody firsthand and celebrating, uh, you know, what he has done and uh, how committed he's, he's become to our athletes in such a short amount of time. Well, Roger? you're going to be in Atlanta. I know uh, you're going to be in Tampa all the way down uh, the yeah. coast. But, you know, yeah. a, a point that I always remember, uh, Mark, going back to when you and I first met, it takes uh, a number of people to support each athlete uh, when you have the events, whether it be the New Jersey uh, Summer Games. And ironically, that's where I first got involved. It was at the old Palmer Stadium, and we did uh, shows uh, from the field, and it was uh, Arthur, uh, Albert Stark's uh, Law Line show, but all of us, David Brody, uh, the guy that did the real estate, the financial guy, we were all there that night, and we interviewed the athletes. And that's what really hooked me. I mean, I knew about it, but I, that's when I knew I really wanted to get involved. And it does take uh, leadership, uh, help, uh, good people uh, to get involved and care for these athletes in these games, doesn't it? Well, just imagine tonight, there's 5,500 people expected to be at the games, athletes and delegation members. So you have an athlete in Des Moines, Iowa right now who's going to bed. The parents know their kids are going to be playing on their soccer team at the USA Games in Orlando. So it's almost like 
I'm just not going to the USA games. I'm going to Disney. I'm going mm-hmm. to Disney play, you know, in, in the United States games against athletes from all over the country. So you realize the parents have been committed. You realize the local coaches have been committed, the teachers, any fitness people that are involved, the nutrition people to ensure that that athlete is going to be a peak for, at a peak performance level. And then the Special Olympics in Iowa is going to go ahead and raise all the dollars to get that team down to Florida, and then that, those games in Florida are going to be free to the athlete, which is going to include visits to the park. It's going to include competition at the highest level at some of the finest competition sites at Wide World of Sports all of the special events and activities, Exploria Stadium, stadium opening ceremony that's going to be covered by, uh, by ESPN. When you, when you take a look at all of the people involved and then you see that athlete reach that level, you just wonder. I know I, I have a son uh, with special needs. We'll be going up to watch the games. But when you raise a child, you can't imagine that they'd walk into a stadium in front of 25,000 people and be cheered or that mm-hmm. they'll be competing at the national level and be held in such high regard. Uh, and then realizing that it, it takes a village. It takes all of the community to ensure that that is prepared, is funded. And then, of course, Joe Zalek has done a remarkable job with the games as CEO and uh, raising enough dollars, again, partnering with, uh, with Peter and, and, and Jersey Mike's uh, and many other sponsors to ensure that everything is going to be paid for when they arrive. Well, Mark, you, have uh, you took the one next question right out, of my, uh, right out of my mind. But I, I think you said 5,500. Is that... Is that the number we're working with, 5,500? Yes, we are going to have 5,500 total delegation members. We'll have the largest number of athletes. That includes coaches and delegation members. But we'll have uh, twice as many athletes that we had in Seattle in 2018. Uh, right. It's going to be it, – it, it's just as elevating the U.S. program. You know, coming out of COVID, there were so many challenges on the turn to play. And yeah. every – you know, pumping the brakes and, and, and slowing down, starting up and – and just trying to figure out when they could get their guys back on the field. And they followed a very intense protocol, a safety protocol for the, all of our athletes to ensure that when they got back on the playing field, it was going to be a safe environment. And I can't tell you how proud I am. I, mean, I used to run North America, and I can't tell you how proud I am of the guys at the, at the exact level in each of the states that were able to go ahead and navigate the space of, of, of COVID, funding, uh, the safety of the athletes, and to be able to get them not only back on the field, but prepared to come to these games. And there's such an excitement. It's something of a tsunami of energy now that we're back on the field and everybody's waiting to show up. Hey, Mark, uh, we, you know, Don and I, we, we were talking about Jersey Mike's as were you. What about some of the other sponsors? And then you mentioned the yeah. one uh, yesterday about the, what is it, the nerve blocker? Yeah, uh, Pasira, they're, they're a pharmaceutical company that has just come on board uh, that does nerve blocks for uh, major surgeries, and they're really uh, champions for, you know, uh, you, you know, the non-use of opioids. So, you know, they have come on, and then you take a look at Orlando Health that came on in a very large way, and uh, Coca-Cola, Bank of America, uh, J-Bill, Fanatics. I mean, just a, a, so many companies have stepped up uh, to support the games, and, you know, it, it, it's kind of exciting opportunity when everybody had been so dormant for those two years that they have this opportunity now to not only get their name out there, but to be able to support such a great cause. Well, you know, you were talking about uh, when you were in New Jersey and look at the way that has grown uh, other states in in the area. I know that, uh, and to tell you exactly when it was, it was 2008. 
at the Philadelphia Sports Writers Banquet. Don and I are members, and uh, I, I introduced all the uh, medal winners from the uh, Worldwide Olympics of Special uh, Olympians that were there that night. And Matt Ryan was our Amateur Athlete of the Year coming out of Boston College. Wow. <laughs> so it shows you how many years ago that was. But wow. uh, what about uh, – can you talk more about the uh, run? Because we have people from all over the country and all up and down the East Coast, and uh, the, the torch run is going to hit their community. Yeah. Yeah, if people will go to the USA Games website, 2022 USA Games website, they can do a search for the site and and get on. They'll be able to track. Actually, the best is you can download an app, uh, the Special Olympics 2022 USA Games. You can download the app, and on that app you'll be able to track it. But our our goal right now, you know, everybody's excited. We're going to get some national coverage. We already know that. I can't announce that right now. Uh, But we recognize the benefit of social media. So Mm -hmm. the we're going to be in Chicago, uh, and we're going to have so many people that will be attending that event and tracking us, getting into Cleveland and getting into New York City. And uh, with that national exposure uh, and, and, and the, the whole social media aspect, um, we hope to engage tens of millions of people uh, before the games to just heighten their awareness, uh, get them uh, you know, on board to, to, to watch the opening ceremonies, to learn about our organization. Uh, and actually to follow athletes from their states. The app is going to be able to uh, enable people to follow their, their, their team from Southern California, you know, or, you know, their swim team in the pool. So uh, we're, we really are looking to use the torch run as a two-week uh, kind of uh, promotion, uh, as well as a celebration of law enforcement torch run. Law enforcement torch run, since 1984, uh, has raised close to a billion dollars Mm. Special movement, law enforcement officers around the world, but predominantly in North America. And they are all assembling where we're, we're going to have representatives from every state uh, on the final leg, 52 uh, runners, six athletes. But we're also going to be engaging law enforcement communities at every stop that we're in. So we could have close to two to three thousand law enforcement officers supporting the run uh, on the way down. So. The excitement is going to build, but you know what? How great is it that they're going to be able to run the mall in Washington, D.C.? Are they going to go to the 9 11 Memorial or the Statue of Liberty or, you know, the State House in Columbia, which is iconic? It's, it's in Columbia, South Carolina. I mean, there are some wonderful stops along the way in Atlanta. Uh, we're hoping to be at Daytona 500. We're, you know, we're going to be, uh, you know, at a couple stadiums down in, 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 in Florida. So, the goal is really to try to tell everybody the story as we go along through our law enforcement uh, officers, through our athletes running in, in the torch run, um, and then you know, culminating with the law enforcement uh, torch run bringing in the flame to opening ceremonies and handing it to the athlete who will then like to call them to start the games. Yeah, you're going to be starting at Soldier's Field right? in Chicago, right. and uh, <clears throat> when, you, when you say that, how long are you going to spend at each stop? You're saying that it's going to be a two-week run total? Yeah, so what we've got about a two-week run. Uh, actually, it's, yeah, it's, it's two weeks leading up, and then we then we have uh, you know all of Florida. But yes, we're, we're going to be in Chicago for about a day and a half. We'll stop one uh, an evening and do an event in Cleveland. Uh, we'll hit uh, you know ESPN in the morning, and then WWE headquarters in the afternoon. Be in New York for a day, uh, head down to Jersey Mike's, and then to the steps of the Art Museum in the evening. 
Uh, and then uh, we head right down to Annapolis, the Pentagon. So we're, we're making stops all the way down. And the neat thing about the law enforcement officers that we have involved is they're incredible when it comes to logistics. And they also are remarkable in, in regard to the relationships of local departments. So we'll be leapfrogging. So as we do something in Annapolis, we'll have an advanced team that will be down there setting up at the Pentagon. And then another advanced team jumping over to the mall. So uh, the logistics that it takes to close the roads, to figure out where we're parking, where we're running, where the event's going to be. We'll have a 20-minute, 25-minute event where we'll be recognizing local, uh, you know, officials, uh, you know, police chiefs, uh, mayors, uh, you know, other celebrities. So the goal is going to be that the goal is going to be that we're going to the goal is going to be that we're going to uh, uh, really be highlighting uh, everybody uh, that would support a local special Olympics program. So, you know, Roger. the idea that we would work with Matt Aaron and, and yeah. really concentrate on, on helping Matt, you know, build his school program in the inner city or tell the story of ESPN support of unified sports. So we'll have stories at each of the stops, uh, besides the promotion of the games, which is evident, as well as the torch run. Mark, to, to, to have the games at Disney in Orlando, was that a bidding process? Uh, or was it just the national office that decided to go there? No, it was a bidding process. Uh, I, when I was running North America, Greg Epperson is uh, uh, the sports person who heads up all the sports, and, and he and I always believed, and as, as many others believe, that uh, it, it would be great to bring the games to Orlando. Um, but, you know, Seattle had bid a, a couple times and won the bid. There were some other uh, cities around the country that had uh, a desire to do it. I know when we did it in New Jersey in 214, uh, we beat Boston out. So there were a number of, of states, and once they saw Orlando's bid and they saw what they were prepared to do, um, I think everybody kind of just took a step to the side, and uh, we awarded the games to them. But we now have uh, five different cities, I believe, four different cities coming to Orlando planning to bid on 2026 and 2030. Wow. So. That's what we needed. We needed the energy so that people said, wow, this is something that uh, is really dynamic for the community. It changes the culture of how we look at people with disabilities. I bring incredible economic impact. I mean, with families and everything, we'll be bringing, you know, tens of thousands of people to Orlando that week. So there's a huge benefit to host the game. So we have gotten to a pretty sophisticated bidding process. Uh, and Orlando was dynamic with Disney and all of the local uh, counties that came forward uh, to support the bid. Well, you well know, we Don, had Pat Williams on with us last week, uh, Mark, uh, general manager was, in fact, the creator of the Orlando Magic, and uh, he's lived in Orlando now for all these years. And it's now the 17th biggest market uh, in the country. It has grown so dramatically. And, of course, the state of Florida is growing so much more dramatically. And uh, as you mentioned at the top of the show, uh, there's so many things for these folks to do while they're there. You know, it's not only Disney World or, or uh, whatever. Uh, there's just so much going on. Uh, to me, Atlanta would be, the, was, would be the perfect spot to go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we're, we're finding it now. We, we thought, and now multiply it times 10 what they have done uh, to embrace our athletes. So. From, from the arrival at the airport, from our airlift, it's going to have private planes bringing some athletes into a local, uh, you know, corporate airport to uh, the welcome, welcoming day, uh, to the opening ceremonies. It, it's just as they, they have so staffed up with dynamic Disney people who've come over to, to, to work on the games, as well as other people in the community, to professionals. I, I don't, I've never seen an organizing committee uh, this talented uh, and this deep and this committed, uh, just just a remarkable 
think is happening with the movement right now. But, you know, there's a huge energy coming out of COVID, right? I mean, everybody was just chopping at the bit. So it's yeah. become this tsunami where everybody always really liked the organization and was embedded in the organization. And, and, and we all had to stand out in the last two years. So this, this event is something that is just everybody's getting behind it. Everybody in the Orlando area and in Florida is getting behind. And I, I think we're going to see something that we could never imagine that's going to happen that June 5th. Well, they're also blessed to have you, Mark. I mean, you know, you're retired, quote, unquote, retired, and uh, you're back involved in your leadership uh, over the years, not only in New Jersey, but nationally. I mean, they're just uh, splendid, unduplicated. And uh, I, I think that just what we've learned tonight and I learned yesterday, I mean, the passion you have for uh, the program and having a son uh, that's a Special Olympic athlete uh, just says it all. And uh, did you ever envision when you started out uh, back many years ago that uh, you would be involved in an event such as the one coming up in June? No, I, I have this analogy, and not many people like it, but I, I love looking in the rearview mirror. You know, you, you start in the field, and you work in an, an institutional set, and you think you're going to be a teacher, or you think you're going to be a coach, and, you know, fast forward 40 years, and you're intimately involved with an event that, that, that's so spectacular. And I love to look back and say, well, how did this happen, right? You always like to look back on a career and, and say, how, what steps did I take to, to get to where I am? And it was a gift when we awarded the games here. It was a gift that I was living in Florida when I retired. And the opportunity to speak with Joe and, you know, come on and do some of these projects with him. And uh, I'm going to actually ride along with the torch run, you know, for the for the entire time, which is going to be so great. Um, but, no, I, I, I didn't envision that. And it's really hard to because, you know, you got to remember, I grew up in the mid-70s in an institution where, you know, my, my guys were in lockup. You know, we, we had to do everything we could to get them off campus to be able to get to a special Olympics event. Uh, mm. And you know, that was a treatment of people who were institutionalized. And that's what Araldo really pushed for in those in the early 70s is for deinstitutionalization and you know fast forward 45 50 years and you look and you say just amazing what's taken place so no you, you when i started i could have never imagined and not in my wildest to, 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 to think that this is an event that orlando the city of orlando has so embraced well, well mark yeah. I, I want to thank you so much for joining us on the show but more importantly as we get closer to the events uh, uh down the line I hope you'll rejoin us for maybe 10 or 15 minutes to sort of update things and just to put uh, the Special Olympics in the front of people that are listening all across the country on our network. Thank you very, very much. Mark, you're you're the best. Thank you so much. God bless. All right. Thank you, guys. Our pleasure. All right. Mike Zimzak is ready right now. And, uh, Mike, uh, we missed you last week. Uh, we had a lot of interesting things to talk about with you last week, and they disappeared. But anyway. Uh, it, 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 it's my fault. What? I fell asleep. I'm standing on a street corner right now in South Philly. I promise you I'm on the corner of Passyunk Avenue. What are you doing in South Philly? <laughs> I'm having dinner with some friends. Oh, at a nice Italian <laughs> restaurant? <laughs> Actually, at a nice Italian restaurant, and we are in between the pasta course and the main course. Oh, well, we're joining us this week, Don, in the middle of his meal. 
I'll tell you what, we we don't want to take away from your dinner. We'll, we'll let you get back but, to your yeah, dinner. Yeah, this is how much I love you. I came on in between my pasta course and my main course. And by the way, um, that pasta course was amazing. Well, jump in quickly on the Washington C because we got a lot of things. That football people getting ready now. They're talking more about the National Football League now than they did a month ago. And uh, they're kind of looking forward to the draft, what's going to happen. Uh your uh, your hockey team is playing well in Washington, uh, although not quite well enough. But they're going to be a factor in the, in the uh, playoffs. How about the hockey club first? Let's talk about uh, what, what's happening there. Uh, um, they're in this weird netherworld where they are so far in front of everybody else for the um, uh, for, for 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 the playoffs. But right now, they're not picking up enough points to move up in the standings. Um, they play two more games than the next closest team, two of them, the New York Rangers. But right. the Rangers are uh, six, um, four, uh, uh, I think it's six, oh, uh, six, four, and oh. And the Caps are six, three, and one in their last 10 games. If you keep playing at the level of everybody around you, you're not going to pick up points. So they're just in this weird spot where we know they're going to the playoffs. We're just not going to – we're not 100% sure of what they're going to do when they get there. Roger? Well, what about uh, – let's, let's talk a little bit about uh, the uh, Commodores. And the controversy with the new quarterback already. Um, what's going on in the nation's capital area about uh, Carson Wentz? Because there is so much coming out now about him from other uh, teams and the Colts and Bob Urshay, uh Are they are they starting to uh, question about that acquisition or not? The acquisition is not particularly popular uh, when you talk to fans, mostly because they had to give up draft picks and $28 million to fulfill the contract. But this is the bad team tax that a team like the commanders are going to pay. you got to understand, when you're not a great franchise, this is the tax that you pay to attract players to play for you. They have waited a couple of weeks, maybe gotten Baker Mayfield, maybe gotten whoever. Yeah, but they needed to get somebody who they knew wasn't going to come in and argue about playing for them. So it's bad franchise tax. That's what everybody down here is paying right now. Well, you can jump over to the Ravens, too, uh, Mike. Uh, Barbara just signed a new extension on his contract, and he's one of the uh, – really one of the longest-lasting coaches right now, uh, you know, in the National Football League. His, uh, his tenure is really adding up. He's done a great job with the Ravens, and uh, they're happy to have him sign a little extension down there. He's making a lot of money. Well, Steve Bashotti came out, and he was against – uh, given uh, Sean Watson all of that guaranteed money 
Because he knows he's got a quarterback in Lamar Jackson that he's going to have to give that money to. And whatever Deshaun Watson just did, that's going to be the baseline for his negotiations with Lamar. And so I don't think they should – he said, I don't think they should have given um, Deshaun Watson that money. You know, he's not worthy of the the fully guaranteed contract. Because he knows, like, now this is what the baseline – this is the minimum. 230 guaranteed is the minimum that Lamar Jackson is now asking for. It changed the whole structure – of the National Football League by having mm-hmm. totally guaranteed contracts. And I'm sure that there were uh, all but the uh, the guy, what, what is it, from uh, Cleveland that did this. They, the other owners, I bet they were after him in that uh, room down at the Breakers uh, the last couple of days. It just absolutely destroyed the salary structure of the National Football League. Yeah, yeah, you're 100% right. You're going to have a quarterback and nobody else. (laughs) Yeah, but that's what the NFL is right now. It's quarterback-driven league. you got to pay your quarterback. If you don't pay your quarterback, what do you got? Yeah, but as Roger has indicated there, you know, enough is enough. I mean, as you said, now Jackson's got a a base to work under saying, well, it's got, uh, you know, uh, $230 million. So that automatically sets the bar up for everybody that's a quarterback that's in that range. And, uh, you know, yeah. I'm talking about the upper echelon in the league as far as quarterbacks are concerned. Well, I mean, it's hard to it's hard to stay under the cap if you're paying this somebody this kind of money. And how is Lamar Jackson not going to justify that? I've been to the Pro Bowl every season that I've been in the league. I've been a good citizen. What more do you want from me? He got this. I'm going to get at least that and more. And he's right. Well, my my only concern, Mike, would be, a, and I think it's a genuine concern, his style of play is not indicative of lasting a long time. And you give him that kind of money, and two years from now, uh, you know, he has some kind of injury that uh, – takes him out. Uh, I, I, if I were a general manager, not that I'm any against Jackson, he's a great player, got great ability, wouldn't have been my selection to begin with as, as a draft choice, but got a lot of talent, has proven a lot of things that you indicate, Pro Bowl, but, but you, you're betting 10 years that he's going to stay healthy, and, and I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, but I don't. I, this is where you got to play the cards. Do you well, want you got to get another quarterback. Yeah, do do you think you can do better than what you've got right now? If so, what are you betting on? I I don't know, but I have to try. Roger, what do you think? Well, you know, I understand what uh, Mike uh, is saying because uh, that's just the way it's going to be. I mean, but I don't think every quarterback is going to be at the top of the, uh, the dial level. And I think, but I think as far as guaranteed money goes, I think now every good quarterback or semi-good are going to get uh, guaranteed money. 
And then if you have an also-ran quarterback, the team isn't going to win anyway. So, you know, they're just going to uh, get the uh, the revenue sharing and and uh, go to the bank. It's, it, I think it's going to be a mess in the league. I really do. Hey, gentlemen, I love you to death. I will see you next week. Um, I got to duck out and get my uh, my dinner because my dinner. Yeah, I know you. Hey, listen, sorry we interrupted your dinner. We didn't mean to do that. No, that's how much I love you. Yeah. Well, enjoy so your enjoy your day. Italian dinner in Philadelphia because you're in the best area to get a nice nice Italian dinner. So enjoy it. We'll catch up with you in the next couple of weeks. All right, man. I'll talk to y'all next week. Okay. Love Thank you. you. Talk Care to you later. Peace. Okay. Thanks, <laughs> hey, sorry we disturbed his dinner. We didn't know. That's the second time now yeah, we eat spent all with us. Hey, Frank, you got to tell him if he's in the middle of dinner, skip us. We'll go to the okay. next oh. week. Tell the kitchen, yeah, hold yeah. the dinner. He wanted to, uh, he wanted to come on. Yeah. He did a great job as usual. That was, that was my problem. He told me last week and I forgot all about it. Uh, we're going to have Doug come on in about five minutes. I don't think he turned his phone off because no, I don't there's, a lot of, no, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of over uh, noise coming to Okay, you now. There we go. Uh, you know, let's talk about the uh, the final four. And uh, because, you know, the uh, this time next week, it'll be all over. And uh, what do you think? Uh, well, Don, Frank, uh, you know, we got uh, Villanova, Kansas, North Carolina, Duke, first time that they've met in, uh, in uh, postseason play in the tournament ever. Uh, this will be the first. Uh, how, how does the tournament look to you in the final four? You never Frank, I'll let you get it first. I wonder if it's not a setup to give Calfari his uh, big goodbye. Um, not that Jay would uh, would throw a game, but you know, if you look back historically, uh, the two that are matching up, Villanova and Kansas, uh, were back in 14, and Villanova knocked him out at the top uh, eight, and then in 16 they knocked him out in the top four. Um, so I'm very confident that uh, Jay's going to be successful again this time. Now, the other thing comes down to who's going to beat Duke. Uh, they've been beating this year. Um, uh, historically, uh, they've been, you know, number one, number two, and, you know, they're holding their, their chances now. There's going to be a heck of a lot of uh, people there uh, rooting for Capari because it's his very last game. So he says – uh, and can he walk away with the net in his hand? I I, I doubt it, um, but I'm rooting. And, again, I'm rooting. Even though I'm a, a, a hawk, I'm, I'm rooting for the, the Wildcats. Well, I, I got to say this. I think Kansas is the best team going in. Uh, they're, they're legitimate number one. Uh, they just blew Arkansas away uh, in the, in the uh, eight. Uh, they're playing great basketball right now. And unfortunately, the last minute of play in the Villanova's win, their second-best player went down and is not going to be able to play with the Achilles tendon tear. And that's going to really, I think, uh, hurt Villanova. Now, they have a very short bench to begin with, 
I watched them last night on the, uh, the late show on on TV. Uh, they had they had uh, uh, interviewed him and, and uh, interviewed Wright, and he talked about how this player is going to step up. And I mean, you know, you're the coach, and you got to hope that that next player who has had a lot of injuries, he's senior. He had, he's had a lot of injuries and hasn't played as much as he would like to, but you got to hope he can step up. And uh, but that's a question mark. So I think Villanova's got a long night coming in the first game against Kansas. As far as Duke is concerned, uh, I think North Carolina has to have a lot of confidence from two areas. One, they knocked them off with Cameron in the last game of the season, maybe one of the biggest games in, in Duke history because. Coach K was coaching his last game there. It was nationally televised. It was uh, uh, a lot of hullabaloo. I brought all the players back in that he coached all those years. And uh, North Carolina blew them away. Uh, now, I don't think they're going to blow them away, but I think they're going to beat them. Uh, I don't think Duke is as good as uh, – uh, well, I don't think they're number two. I'll put it that way. I think um, if I were ranking, I'd have Kansas first. North Carolina, the way they're playing right now, second, Duke third, and Villanova fourth. So that would be the way I would see it uh, going into the weekend. Roger? Yeah, well, that makes sense to me too, Don. Uh, I, I uh, from my heart, says that I want Villanova to win. Oh, okay. we all do. My mind, yeah, my mind said, uh, especially with the injury, uh, but, you know, we're getting back to the UConn game. The comparison I'm making about Gillespie uh, is maybe being the key to this game. And, I mean, he's Big East player of the year. Was in that UConn-North Carolina State women's game. That Paige Becker, she stepped up and took those shots in that, uh, what was it, the fourth quarter and the overtime, really. Uh, to keep uh, UConn in the game. Right. And I think that that's what has to happen with uh, Gillespie. I mean, uh, and I think that this is his curtain call. Uh, I mean, if they win, he has another game. If they don't, uh, his career's over. And, of course, last year he didn't get to make it into the tournament because of the injury. So, right, uh, even though he was I, the player of the right. year two years in a row in the Big East, he was the yeah. player of the year. And, yeah, and right. uh, this year he's been healthy. Uh, I was a little afraid when he looked like he sprained that ankle in the last minute of play a couple of games back, but it doesn't seem to bother him at all. He hadn't heard it said anything about it all, about uh, being any kind of a hindrance. No, exactly. And uh, But I'm with you. I, I think that uh, North Carolina proved they can beat Duke. Uh, and uh, but I also understand what Frank is saying, but I think uh, Kansas. I mean, I got knocked out because I had uh, a Gonzaga against uh, 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 Arizona, you know, in the final, and I'm gone from my pool. But uh, <laughs> I think Kansas will win the, the tournament. Well, Frank, how about the injury? Don't you think that's gonna really hamper Villanova. I mean, I, I just don't see how Jay Wright's going to be able to come up with, you know, not only five players, but he only plays basically with eight to begin with. And, uh, you know, yeah. he's got to be very shorthanded against a team that is so quick. Kansas is so quick. And and, and Villanova's going to have to slow the game down. I mean, 
Gillespie's going to have to, you know, every time they come up the court, he's going to have to use, you know, 15 seconds at a clock to try to keep, uh, sure. you know, and keep them in position. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he not only has to slow them down, he has to watch what they're doing because Kansas is also a very uh, uh, strong um, uh, team that will push push you around. Um, so he's got to keep his eye around that too. Um, I hope there's no uh, no injuries in the game. Um, you know, he's 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 undermanned right now. What he can do, he's worked miracles before, and I think he'll work work miracles again. Roger. Well, I hope so. I really do because I think it would be uh, amazing. And you know, there's a lot of speculation now who is going to replace uh, Coach K as the spokesman, quote-unquote, for uh, college basketball. From everything I've seen, it's it's Jay Wright. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't think there's any question that Jay Wright's being, uh, you know, I think he's being uh, held up as one of the outstanding basketball coaches in college basketball. And then we talked about Gino in the women's game and the way he's been revered and held up in the women's game in Connecticut. And you talked about Becker. I think she scored, if I remember correctly, 15 points in the, yeah, she did. the last yeah. Yeah, in, in the uh, last part of the uh, fourth quarter and then the overtime. In fact, she hit the first, I think, eight or ten points in a row. And uh, she had, you know, one of the fantastic games. And uh, we didn't mention that we were talking about women's basketball on the early part. Uh, Dawn Staley. And what Dawn Staley has done, a Philadelphian, uh, played for Debbie Ryan at North Carolina, uh, coached at Temple University. Uh, as I said, she's a Philadelphian and uh, has taken over and really taken that South Carolina program to uh, another level. And uh, so it's going to be interesting to see what they do in the Final Four. As I said, I think Stanford uh, and uh, South Carolina are the two Number one seeds, I think they're about equal, even though uh, Stanford won it last year. We'll see what happens. But uh, I also wanted to mention Dawn Staley and the job that she's been able to do. Oh, outstanding job with the Gamecocks in Columbia. And uh, the uh, amazing. I mean, what she's done in a short period of time. And, uh, you know, it's just it's a great time of year uh, for college basketball and the NIT championship is tomorrow night. I, I watched that first game last night. I wasn't impressed. Uh, St. No. Bonaventure didn't have much to, much say, you know, much to do in that game. So, either one of the games were very good, to be honest with you. The second game, second game really wasn't any better. I mean, it was unfortunate. Uh, maybe the championship uh, uh, will be, uh, and they're going to move, which is unfortunate too. Uh, after 50 years, they're going to move the NIT out of Madison Square Garden. Uh, I don't. I know they were spitting what city. I, I don't think they've announced what city has gotten it yet, uh, but I know they are moving it out of Madison Square Garden after a 50-year tradition playing the NIT there. So uh, I don't know all the uh, all the ramifications of why they did it, but uh, maybe the Garden just decided it was time to to make a change. I don't know. But uh, I'm sorry to see it, see it leave the garden. I think it's going to lose a little of its luster uh, going someplace else. Hey, Don, we're joined by uh, our, our number one golf pro, 
Uh, he's uh, been waiting on the line here, waiting, I know, breathlessly waiting to talk about uh, Tiger Woods and everybody else. Mm. <laughs> Doug, I mean, that, I was going to say, I mean, I'm, I'm waiting. I was waiting for the crowd to stand on its feet and, like, chant something, but I guess so. <laughs> no, we 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 chatted about it a little bit earlier, and uh, okay. no, what happened there was Frank's phone drops out every once in a while, and I don't hear all of what he says. But anyway, uh, mm-hmm. it, the uh, we talked about Mickelson, we talked about Tiger, uh, the fact that mm-hmm. he did walk and play 18 holes yesterday. I did not yeah. see, and he played with his son again. I thought that was, I thought that was sort of interesting. He played with Thomas, mm-hmm. and he played with his son. Thomas and he are okay. great buddies. Uh, but I didn't yep. hear anything about scoring. I don't know whether they, whether they, uh, well, you know. Re- there's probably, I mean, he's he's Tiger Woods. I mean, there's there's. I've been getting a bunch of emails from different golf venues that are speculating, you know, wanting to know if he's going to play in the Masters or not. Um, you know, I I can't, I can't imagine that he's in any shape to to play there. Um, you know, I just I just can't imagine that to be the case. I mean, he's there, yes. It's the week before the Masters, or roughly ten days before the Masters. Um, and he walked eight you know, holes. Well, I mean, will will he be, you know, a part of the Champions Dinner? Um, you know, kind of in a venue to just still be a part of something. I mean, obviously, um, he's morphed into, you know, spending time with his kids in a dad role uh, to some degree. So. You know, this is a wonderful opportunity. I mean, shit, I'd love to play. I'd love to play Augusta. I mean, his kids, how old, and he get a chance to play. I mean, that's, you know, there's there's still other concepts that I think are in play here. I mean, he still wants to be a part of, you know, the tour and, and the players. And at some point, he'll probably take an active role um, in terms of captaincy for, you know, whether it's President's Cup or Ryder Cup or any of these sorts of things. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I think he's still Tiger Woods, and he still has an opportunity to continue his PGA Tour career um, in a limited fashion, uh, whether it's just, you know, the big events. Um, you know, certainly I don't think we'll see him as a regular uh, as we used to, but it, it's it's speculation. It's good for the game. I mean, it's Augusta National. I mean, there's a lot of really cool things going on there. So, I mean, I don't know what we can make of that. I mean, you know, Tiger's going to do what his body and, and mind and, and heart tell him to do. So, I mean, I don't know. We'll see. Roger? Well, they were talking uh, today on uh, Mad Dog Radio about uh, Mickelson, too. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I know we talked about Mickelson, uh, yeah. I guess, last week, you know. And mm-hmm. well, what's, what's your assessment, Doug, uh, if you were – uh, to, to be a betting man, how does the Masters look to you as far as from, yeah, the, um, the you know the the best uh, uh, players that are in that tournament? Mm. Well, you know, I, I kind of started doing just a little bit of research on that. Um, you know, I know Don's a, a big odds maker, and you know, we'll lay a couple bucks down every now and again. Um, you know, I think. The Masters, it's always funny because when you talk about who's playing well, you know, that's that's mutually exclusive from, in many cases, who wins at the Masters because it's a tournament that, 
reveres its past champions, and, and there are certain people that just seemingly play well there, even if they're not playing their best golf going into it or, you know, don't have necessarily a, a good year otherwise. Um, you know, you could talk about guys like Jordan Spieth, who have played well there but hasn't done a whole lot, you know, outside of that. Um, you know, you can talk about um, – Let's see, who else could we throw into that same cat? I mean, obviously, Phil Mickelson would have been another had he played. Um, Tiger's another one had he played. Um, you know, I think you have to look at Justin Thomas. Um, you can never count guys like Dustin Johnson out. I think one to look for uh, this particular Masters is Victor Hovland. I think he's um, playing some really good golf, and I think he's an up-and-coming, really good young player. I mean, Scotty Scheffler has established himself as the number one player in the land. Um, I don't think you can overlook him. Uh, Colin Morikawa is a fabulous young player who's already won two majors. Um, so, I mean, there's a bunch of names out there that I think that, that have that opportunity. There's probably somebody that I'm missing, um, you know, that's played particularly. I mean, uh, Matsuyama, Matsuyama, the one last year, I mean, you can't count out the champion. Um so, I mean, there's – it's always fun to watch the Masters. Um, you know, they, they, they make such a good venue of, um, you know, the drive, chip, and putt, the par three, the ladies' amateur, um, you know, the, 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 the par three and all the sentimental stuff around all the individuals of past champions and guys like Tom Watson and all those guys that participate in that. It's, it's a fabulous week for golf. Um, and I suppose we can say what we want to about Augusta National being snooty, you know, with regard to their place in the hierarchy of golf. But they do an awful lot for the game philanthropically, um, as we mentioned, with, with, you know, kids being there. And, and uh, so you've got junior golf, you've got women's golf, you've got, you know, the, the great golf champions that have played well there and won. You've got all these different things that, that, that go on there. So it's, it's a really good week for golf. Well, you mentioned Jordan Spieth, and, uh, you know, I, I've been a little disappointed in, in his play this year so far because I really followed him even before he started the win major tournament quite a while ago. And, uh, you know, he seems to play a relatively good, maybe not the best of his of his uh, four days, but he plays it on the first day. And then yeah. for some reason, uh, he has not been able to put together four days of outstanding mm-hmm. golf. He'll play – Five holes together, six holes together, sure. And then he'll, 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 which I, I really can't understand because he, he lays out of the tournament, you know, to practice. Uh, he doesn't play every single tournament, and uh, yeah, he'll get off to a great start, and then all of a sudden it just falls apart on him, Doug. Well, I think there's a couple important factors, and I, I, I don't think you're wrong, but I think, you know, over the course of the last. I don't know, two or three years, Jordan Spieth has really fiddled with his golf swing an awful lot. Um, he's trying to do a lot of different things and right. making these changes. And although these guys are, you know, tour players who are elite golfers that have the best coaches, the best trainers, the best dietitians, the best whatever, you know, and they, it's their job, you know, they get, they get to practice and play and do all these things on a daily basis. I mean, it's incredibly difficult to make uh, some of these swing changes that, that he's uh, trying to make um, well, Tigers you know, been trying to do t- that the last what ten years. He's been he's been uh, fiddling he's with been his swing 
He's been because of injury and other things. Sure, he's been through Como and Foley and Haney and you know all all the you know all these different guys and and you know Tiger's swing over the years has made its you know changes from his body type to you know what was best for longevity to injury to all these different things that it morphs into and I think you know the concept if if you're playing Augusta Augusta will definitely point out whatever your weaknesses are um, in a hurry so. You know, under pressure, under the gun in a tournament fashion, you know, with some of those conditions, whether it was the wind or time of year in terms of they played it in what November or whatever that one year. Um, you know, it's it's a hard venue to win. You know, they've they've made so many changes to the golf course. I mean, those some of the lies that you're gonna get there are so tight. You know, when you talk about their wedge game and um some different things that that come into play there, it's you know, God bless those guys. I mean it's the greens are like putting in your bathtub, you know. So it's good stuff. Well, if you go on the Roger. website, uh, the app, it's tremendous. Uh, you know, it's got all the players uh, listed. And, of mm-hmm. course, as the tournament opens up and it talks about uh, the future dates of it. and uh, yeah. uh, But the the, uh, the chairman's dinner uh, was the chairman, and it was all young women. And boy, mm-hmm. I'll tell you that uh, club has. And remember when they talked about women members, the uh, yeah. they said, "Well, no, we're just a uh, we're just a club." Sure. And uh, yeah. it, isn't Condoleezza Rice a member there now, or on the board? Yes, yes, yes. yes. That's what I thought. Well, you know, look, this is a Pandora's box of topic that you know the world we live in now is diversifying, uh, whether by choice or mandate, uh, however you look at it, um, you know, and so in many cases, I mean, you know, no, no one cared, <clears throat> no one cared about, you know, the all men's, all, all boys club of Augusta amongst, you know, many others. There's one up here called Burning Tree. There's one down there in Florida called Adios. There's several across the nation that are typically viewed as all men's clubs. And no one cared, you know, for the longest time, and then all of a sudden they did. And, you know, you, you, you look at all these different concepts of, you know, as I mentioned, what uh, we're just finishing up, you know, National Women's History Month or whatever, and you see well, – Remember, Doug, remember all, when they picked they picked it at the Masters, what, about 10 years yeah. ago before uh, sure. oh. Rice got it, before they uh, admitted Rice into the uh, – I don't think she was the first. I think she was the second woman. I'm not sure. But, uh, you know, remember they had all the pickets outside the entrance because of the fact they didn't have any women allowed to play there. I mean, you know, there was a, Don, there was a good reason why you called uh, the the play-by-play for, you know, the Sixers or the Flyers or any of the other venues that you did because you were really good at what you did. You know, and people liked your voice. They recognized it. They heard it. They understood it. It told a story. You know, and I guess I've always believed that, you know, the world we live in should be a meritocracy where you you gain merit based on, you know, what it is that you do. And I feel like the Amen. world we live in suggests the world we live in suggests that oh well we need one of these people over here to do this, and we need a team full of these people here. To, oh, it's National Women's Month. Oh, we'll do what we'll four. We'll have four women call the game. Well, look, I mean. Like I said, if you're if you're the best at what you do, then here's the microphone. You know, have, have a good time. I mean, pe- people are going to tune in because of you. 
And no matter what position it is that you're advertising for or trying to hire for or whatever, and then this is the really sad part about that is that now we're mandating the fact that you have to have certain whatever in, in place. And that's that goes to show you that, you know, that they're not, which is to say what? Are they well, not the NFL just uh, changed their rules yesterday, and you're going to have and a woman as an assistant offensive coordinator or something from it. You know, she's going to be uh, directly uh, behind the offensive uh, uh, coach and, uh, and, and tutored as she goes along. I mean, they made that rule, ye- announced it yesterday. Well, I mean, look, if, if a female is uh, qualified to be a, a coach in football, then she's qualified to be a coach in football. And I want, to, I want her on my team if she's going to help me win. And, and that's the end of the story. But I also don't think that the NFL should mandate to say – you need to hire a woman or you need to hire a, a Latino or you need to hire a person of color um, because I just – I think it's a bad setup. You know what I mean? I, I think it's – it's it's I don't know. It, the, the the Rooney rule that was in place, like I said to you guys, to eliminate that rule altogether would almost suggest that you, know, you would hire someone who's most qualified for the job. And I've always said – if, the, if, I'm in, if I'm the owner of the Baltimore Ravens, I want the best people coaching. I want the best people as my trainers. I want the best people, you know, doing all the things that it is that they do, you know. And, and I don't really understand. That's what I mean. I'm trying to win. So, so do you really think that I'm going to look at, at somebody who's a Latino versus somebody who's a white Christian male and say, oh, I'm going to follow suit here. I, I like white Christian males. I'm going to hire them. Even though we're going to lose, that's what I want to do. They they want to win, so I don't I don't understand any of this. I just don't get it. You know, Roger? I wasn't raised that way. Well, it's, it, yeah, it's just the uh, the pressure from uh, within. Uh, you've got a guy running the uh, players' association, uh, you know, who was not a football guy like Gene Upshaw. This goes back many years now, and right. uh, he was a, you know a, a politician, and uh, you know it, that's the way it is. Unfortunately, well, you know, I'm with you, Doug. Well, Roger, I know you and Don both like to watch or, or care to watch NBA basketball. I, I just don't really like basketball that much. No, I, I, I'm but, not an NBA fan. No. But what what if we said to you, every NBA team has to have two white players on their team? I mean, what, 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 how would that come out? Essentially, you would be a racist, and b they, you know, it, it wouldn't. Well, the happen. toughest thing about it, Doug, is you couldn't find two. Well, that's you know why. You know they got to go to you know because, they got to go to Europe to get they got to go to Europe to get the uh, white talent, and primarily it's the guys right. that are seven one, seven two. You know, really, it's it's because they're not good enough. That's right. That's why. And and there's no one that's ever going to say any differently or care. For that matter, because because if I got cut from, you know, a basketball team, a baseball team, or whatever, my dad would have sat me down and said, "You know why you got cut, son? It's because you're not bleeping good enough." And I'd have mm-hmm. said, "You know what? How can I how can I get better, or can I play soccer?" You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He just said, "No, we're not playing soccer. You're going to get better, and this is what we're going to do." And 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 that's what I'm saying is, in terms of the world being a meritocracy, you know. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get in the game, man. You know, I mean, if I go out and I shoot 82 in the pro am, 
I'm not going to come back and break all my golf clubs because it's not their fault. It was me. I swung them. You know what I mean? And that's that's the way it goes. So, what do you think about your coaching extension down there with the Ravens today? It's been a pretty hot topic uh, down here uh, because, you know, number one, they they certainly didn't want Coach Harbaugh to be as a as you would say, a lame duck uh, head coach entering the final year of his contract. So, you know, he's had a storied history. I think he um, has done a very good job over the years that he's been here. I know that the owner, Steve Bashotti, has, you know, uh, loved Coach Harbaugh, uh, the hiring and, and what he's done for the team, the city, and the franchise. I mean, well, so he's got to be one of the long-term guys now, right? I I'm, I'm, was yeah, trying I mean, to think back. We were talking about it in the first half. Belichick, I think, is the uh, only one ahead of him, right? With it's one, him team. and Tomlin, him and Tomlin, I think, are ahead. Yeah, yeah, and then Andy would uh, be if if you take both teams together, Andy sure. would be probably next That's, to Belichick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, look, Andy would definitely a, be in there. I think if you're mentioning coaching royalty in the NFL, you, you, you obviously have to put you know, Coach Belichick at the top of that. And Andy Reid is, is probably somewhere, you know, right below that. And I think that, you know, Mike Tomlin, um, you know, has to be whispered as, as one of the absolute best coaches in football. I mean, he's very good at what he does and, you know, has done wonders for that franchise. And I think one of the more quiet entries into that conversation would be would be Coach Harbaugh, um, who's, who's been with the Ravens for several years now and won himself a Super Bowl and, I think the the apples to oranges concept that, that entered that conversation or, you know, hey, look, we just extended our head coach for three years. Now we need to talk about why we're not extending our quarterback for several years. Um, and that's the whole Lamar situation in Baltimore is a, is a big deal. Um, you know, I, I what, what can Baltimore, it, Doug, what can they really do? I mean, you're talking nothing. about a guy that's in this, in this upper echelon of quarterbacks, sure. and one guy just signed for two hundred and thirty million dollars. Now, yeah, I, I mean, maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. A franchise in Baltimore, mm-hmm. and in the National Football League, I said this in the last half hour. You're not going to have any other players. I'm not saying that Jackson's not worth whatever he can get. That's fine. But you give him two hundred, you put him in that top rational, two hundred million, two hundred ten million, two hundred twenty million, whatever it may be, and uh, you're 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 gambling that first of all he's going to be healthy for ten years, and secondly, sure. you're taking away from everybody else on the club. I I, I don't well, think how anybody there's, can. There's a lot of layers to that conversation. Uh, the first of which you mentioned is, you know, a uh, you know a running type quarterback uh, that, that that could be one play away from, you know, hurting his knee or or right. exiting football. It has been but, a couple of times this year. He was this year a couple of for times. For sure. But the the bigger concept is it's it's not that the Ravens don't want to pay him because obviously they love Lamar and you know look we we could compare Lamar Jackson to uh, Deshaun Watson in whatever category you want to compare and you're going to come out ahead on Lamar almost every single time. The concept though is it wasn't the amount of money that that Watson got signed for it was the fact that it was fully guaranteed. And I think that's the right. bigger concept is the Browns had more money cap-wise to spend and could fully guarantee the contract in an effort to 
you know, woo him minus, you know, whatever the five draft picks or whatever it was. You took you take a guy like Lamar, and you say, okay, look, man, you're the best quarterback in the NFL. Whatever you want to say to him, you're the MVP in 2019. We're going to pay you five years, 200 and whatever, north of 230, let's call it, and we're going to fully guarantee that contract. Once you fully guarantee that contract, and you are now kind of strapped in many ways in terms of moving that money around. So they look at a guy like Marcus Peters, and they say, okay, Marcus. Your, your cap number is $10 million. You got two years left and $20 million. We're going we're gonna to take, you know, this and we're going to extend you and we're going to make this um, $10 million salary a signing bonus, and that's going to be prorated over the course of the whatever three-year extension we make you. They can now move money around and, and save money in their salary cap. You take $230, $240, $250 million over five years, and you fully guarantee that, now your hands are a little more tied with regard to that salary cap. And unfortunately, well, what I can little. say is the Ravens are a very good organization. They develop good players. They draft good players. They do things the right way. Unfortunately, when it comes to a lot of the contracts they sign, there's some question marks uh, with regard to how they do them. And, and um, like the Ronnie Stanley, you know, what you're seeing now is, a guy that's played two two games in the last two years where if you said, you know what, we want to move on from Ronnie Stanley, well, guess what? You're going to have to eat about $18 million in your salary cap number, and they don't have that. So when they signed that contract, it, it, it's not, you know, team-friendly. It's player-friendly, and that's the unfortunate part. Right. Well, as I right. said earlier today, that contract for Deshaun Watson, that's changed the whole uh, – Structure, salary structure of the NFL forever. And it's been the talk of the entire West Palm Beach general manager, head coach. That's been the talk. You know, that's what all those guys are whispering down there. They were very upset with, what is it, the Haslam family for for doing that. And many people, even Steve Bishotti came out and said, I don't think that Deshaun Watson should have been the first player to get that money fully guaranteed. Well, I don't think anybody could argue with that. I mean, let's face it, they, they're they still trying to make decisions about what they're going to do when the mm-hmm. time comes around well, and look, decide when he can play. There, I was going to say, there's no there's no guarantee. I mean, Deshaun Watson may be suspended for the first six games. That's why they went out and signed uh, Jacoby Brissett or whatever. So, so they understand that there's probably going to be a lapse in there in terms of, you know, when he can, when he can play. And, when he, and here's the thing. When you talk about yeah, but no, I mean everybody's willing to everybody's willing to say six games. I mean nobody that's not right. a stone. Nobody said six games. No. I mean, I mean sure. I the commissioner doesn't the commissioner doesn't impress me very much in anything that he does. But I mean to me, he could say two years. And well, you know, they still haven't they still haven't uh, you know, cinched up the, the, the civil the civil portion of his lawsuit. I mean, he could be paying no. millions and millions of dollars. And then here's the thing, though. When when you talk about guaranteed money, okay, so you look at the – we'll call it the Cleveland Browns for, for sake of discussion. If the Cleveland Browns have $120 million that they've guaranteed to their current roster, that owner, once a year before the year starts – has to put that $120 million of guaranteed money in what we'll call an escrow account. 
So he has to front the money for the guaranteed money to ensure that everybody gets paid. And this rule was made by the NFLPA, I don't know how many years ago it was, to ensure that these players got paid in case a team fell on hardship. So right. you talk about you talk about Deshaun Watson getting, you know, the first year $45 million of guaranteed money plus this guy plus this guy plus this guy. That owner has to front that money. You know, so – and, you know, when you talk about, like, all these other sports, you know, uh, Major League Baseball, okay, you want to go out and sign Chris Davis to a $200 million contract? That's fully guaranteed. And if he doesn't play one more inning, you still owe him $200 million. So – yeah, but you're only you're only assessed per year, right? You're not you don't have to put up the two hundred thirty million dollars. You have to put up what would be the basis correct. of each year. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. But I mean, if 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 they sign Lamar Jackson to this, you know, enormous two hundred forty million dollar whatever it is, north like I said, north of two thirty, and they guarantee that for five years, and he plays one play and tears his ACL and never plays again, that's all dead money. They'll have to pay it. That's. That's right. You're exactly right. NBA, you know, it's like uh, Simmons with the NBA hasn't played yeah. a game at sixty uh, some million dollars. I'll tell Correct. you that the one thing I would like to see Goodell do to show his guts is, the, the, you know, the the Watson's first year is a million dollars. That's his. Uh, mm-hmm. Then this is six games or whatever. It, it's not. It's small. I would like Goodell to go after and suspend him next year when it's a big number. Right. Okay, you know, and and he and he has the uh, power to do that. Okay, sure. now the question is, will he use it? But I Never. think that. And the other thing, my question was, I thought the commissioner could had the power to turn down contracts. Detrimental to the league. Mm. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt in my mind that contract is detrimental to play. I would totally agree with that. Fellas, that's why you got to love golf. You go out there and play golf, you got to win. Nobody's that's giving serious. you. You still got to pay the caddy at the end of the day. Right. You better get on the board. You better be in the top 50, top 40, top 30, top 20. You better be in there every single week because you got to pay people. Nobody's going to well, give you anything when you walk off the course. You know, it's you against you. It's you against the golf course. Um, and you play for merit based on what you do. <clears throat> you know, you you can't blame it on anything other than yourself. Nobody threw you a bad pass. Nobody missed a block. It was all on you. Exactly. Um, exactly. And I think that's it's a wonderful thing, you know, in terms of what we try to teach um, our juniors and in general, you know, I think it's a big draw to the game of golf because of that reason, you know, and I, I totally enjoy the fact that if, if I got better today, it's because I got better doing something, you know, whether it was chipping, putting, whatever, I went down and I worked on it and I got better today. I didn't, you know, nothing was given to me. Um, well, I think the other thing too, Doug, is that uh, uh, now there are exceptions and people always, every time I, I mentioned the fact that if you don't win, you don't, you don't, you know, you know, if you don't re- record a score, you're not going to win any money. If you don't win any money, you don't get anything. Well, that's not, and they keep saying, well, Tiger goes to wherever, and they give him a $100,000 guarantee before he goes. And there are several yeah. players in the area of golf that get that money before they go to yeah. the tournament. But uh, yeah. very few, very, very few. you yeah. got to win to win. 
I mean, appearance money is is always nice, and you know, piggyback that with you know whatever they make and endorsements and and uh, and all those sorts of things. I mean, that's you know sponsors and you know Tiger hasn't purchased a golf ball for the better part of his entire adult life and even child life, you know, which is nice. I mean, you know, but but the game of golf, you see so many of these amateur golfers that, that make a, a career, you know, winning state opens and club championships and, you know, all those feats are commendable uh, with regard to benchmarking where you are in terms of how you, you know, practice or play or, or grind. Um, so, I mean, it's, you know, golf is a tiered sport where you can, you can win on many different levels, you know, in that sense, um, you know, and to me, if you're, if you were better today than you were yesterday, you win, you know, that that's a win. So it's a good thing. Well, I think Roger? that's what's great about tennis too. You know, it's yeah. uh, you against the opponent. And uh, I once had a, um, a manager working for me years ago. who was a great tennis player. And I never thought about it until he made, made that statement, you know, and that's what uh, he likes about uh, liked about tennis. Uh, it was him against the opponent, you know, not worrying about right. team, like defense, just like you fellas right. were talking about with golf. Sure. I look at bowling. It's uh, yeah. the uh, bowler against the 10 pins, right? You know, yeah. Last time I went bowling ten pins, I think I bowled one twenty six. I was pretty. <laughs> I was pretty. <laughs> I rolled. You, I rolled. You, right. you use your left hand or what? Yeah. You know, I I I couldn't find a ball that that had a thumb hole big enough because my my fingers were pretty big and I kept getting stuck, and I kept missing the daggone slot of the head pin, and I finally rolled a strike. And I was waiting for the crowd to do the wave, and I never saw anything. It was just, you know, it was my own personal joy. <laughs> well, let's move the base. Let's move the baseball for a second because uh, we're only a week and a half away from the opening of the season. What on the seventh? And uh, yeah. I've seen a couple of uh, Oriole games on television uh, yeah. of spring training, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see, uh, you know, with this new salary cap and everybody going over it and all the rest of it. Uh, are they mm-hmm. just gonna are they just gonna take the money again, or are they gonna? Is management and ownership gonna finally step up and spend some money? Not this year. Um, I, I will tell you though, as an Oriole fan, this is the first year of the of the last say five that I'm actually starting to get just a a little bit excited for for the season. And I'll tell you, come probably June first, I think you're gonna start seeing an influx of some of these prospects that the Orioles have to, you know, make make their headway into the major leagues with Adley Rushman, uh, this guy Stowers that's going to play the outfield that I'm pretty excited about, um, Rodriguez, D.L. Hall, um, a lot of these young pitching prospects. I think they're just probably going to say, you know what, it's, it's probably t- – I would rather see the Orioles be the worst team in baseball and put all of their good, solid prospects that are ready up into the major leagues and get them that experience and at least – I mean, D.L. Hall the other day from the left side in, in spring training through, I think, an inning, and I think he topped out at 100 miles an hour, um, and he struck out, I think, at least two of the three. And, you know, I, that's what I want to see. I want to see, you know, some of these young guys go up there, get their experience, and, and, and gain some level of excitement so that we can see what's building for the future. I don't think they're spending any money this year. I think that the Orioles have a plan that they're going to stick these guys in place 
um, and get them their experience and let it roll and let it build and then go out and probably find some fine-tuned pieces to fill in for the back end. I mean, you know, I think Trey Mancini's probably not long for, for the trade. I think he's probably going to, you know, by the all-star break you know, or the trade deadline, I think he'll be gone. Don't know what they're going to do with Cedric Mullins. Um, I like him in center field, but the changes in left field and the the, uh, the field that whole left field area, you're going to be uh, need a really good defender in left field. I think Austin uh, Hayes is your guy. I think Stowers is probably going to play right field. I'm waiting for your your Westbergs and guys like that to, to fill in in the middle infield. Um, Urias, I really like him. Um, Ortiz and some of these guys that are going to play. I think Mountcastle is your first baseman. Adley Rushman's your catcher. And I think you're going to start building some excitement there, even if it doesn't come and wins. Roger? Well, yeah, the Phillies uh, got rid of uh, one of their top prospects, uh, you know, the number one pick a couple of years ago, sent him to the White Sox. I'm anxious mm-hmm. to see how he develops with another mm-hmm. team. And uh, right. now Mickey Moniak's going to be probably uh, the fifth outfielder, fourth, fifth outfielder. And uh, mm-hmm. But I'll tell you, uh, we were talking about uh, with Chris Wheeler and Sir Anthony Dominguez. Two more strikeouts yeah. today, Don. Right. Well, the huh. Roger, the, the Phillies are right. an interesting team because they're they have a good blend of of guys. Reese Hot uh, was it Hoskins um, um, and some other players that I think are obviously major league caliber and, and all star almost caliber people um, that they can fill in the back end with some of their prospects. So that's a little bit different than you know the Orioles don't really have that level of of talent across the board already major league well, ready. I mean, they have well, the other, a lot of really the other good thing, guys. Doug, the other thing is that, uh, you know, they're playing in a, an almost impossible division. I mean, yeah. you, know, you got the Yankees and the Red Sox on top of them spending millions sure. and millions and millions of dollars, even over the, well, the Yankees haven't gone over the 250 million yet, but they're close. And the Red Sox mm-hmm. are right there as well. And it's very tough to compete. And the Phillies are in the same boat in the National League East. You know, well, it, Cone's going to spend know, whatever he's going to spend. He doesn't care about the $250 million cap. He's already over that by plenty. And the, and the Braves, as Roger knows, he's right there in Atlanta. The Braves have a great club, and they made some great moves that before the uh, uh, trading deadline last year. They get into the playoffs. They get into the World Series to win the World Series. And now they've already made a series of moves between before the lockout and after the lockout, then, I mean, to me, the Braves and the Mets, you know, are so far ahead of the field that the Phillies are in the same yeah. position Baltimore is. you got to spend some money. you got to have some players. Well, I mean, look, I'd like to think there comes a point in time when you say, you know what, we have a lot of major league, good, solid, ready caliber prospects that we can put out on the field that are going to make us a competitive team, and we need these Frank, players. Frank just jumped in and said, home. it's time to call it a night, boys. So we'll pick up on the Orioles. We'll pick up on the Masters. We'll pick up on the rest of it. Doug, thank you very much. Of course. Roger, great cap with Mark a and a uh, great half left. hour. Take care. Be safe. Take care. Have a great All week, All right, Frank. Good night. Thank you, Doug, for coming in. We appreciate that. Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces, men and women of police and fire services. When you're out there and you see somebody in uniform, please let them know that you know they're there. A smile, a wink, a handshake, those goes a long way to make a day for any officer. 
These programs are dedicated to those who lost their lives in the line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman David Curtis, Patrolman Jeff, <coughs> Jeffrey Colcap, Patrolman Jeffrey Yazowitz, Sergeant Thomas Badinger, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childress, San Diego Officer Mike Henler, Sergeant Mike Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Office, Patrolman Charlie Condit, Harper Springs Police Department, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department, Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department, Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department, Sergeant Charles LeVake, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department, Patrolman Anapa Crispin, Lakeland PD, Lieutenant Joe Zerba, Newcastle County Police, <clears throat> Patrol Deputy Josh Myers, Nassau County Sheriff's Department, Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Police, Philadelphia Fire Department, Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Arda Hope, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Jerry Ficus, Wilmington Fire Department, Trooper Joe Bully, Florida Highway Patrol, Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol, Chief Al Hogle, along with K Police Department, Chief Jim Ford, Wilmington Fire Department. My brothers and sisters, I know you may be 10-7 at this point in time, sometime will be 10-10 at the table of the word. Until the time, as the rose rise up to meet you, may the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly in your fields and the sun shine right there in your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your families always in the palm of his hand. Good night, God bless, and have a great week. Shemalek ma'ilama, Shemahezahilma, Sunashenevoratfet, Akuigaget ma'ilama.
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.